재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 In this week's Planet Korea, we pick up on our occasional series on Korean urbanism with Colin Marshall. Colin is the local blogger for the Los Angeles Review of Books and an all-around prolific podcaster and writer on the topic of urban life in cities around the world. This week, we'll dive deep into what makes Seoul special compared to other cities in the world. Hi, Colin. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> good, how are you? Doing well, and you know, it's good to be here for... I would, I'll say, you know, it's nice to be out with Kurt every month or so in mm-hmm. a different part of Seoul, but also good to be in the studio. Nice change <laughs> of pace. I don't have to be out in the cold. Thank you. I'm glad to be here in the warm studio as well. So today we're going to talk about what makes Seoul special. And my gosh, there are so many, many uh, aspects, I imagine. But what are there some of the things that you want to focus on for this segment? Well, this segment, we've, we've been calling it Seoul Urbanism, mm-hmm. as, as it happens every month. And you use the word urbanism. A lot of questions come up. You know, what exactly do you mean by that? What counts as urbanism? It's a, a big, vague word, which makes it very useful because it could mean almost <laughs> exactly. anything. But I often think of the experience of the city, the experience of the built environment, the experience of how other people use it, how sort of human life and structures, things that are built, things that are e s t a b l i s h e established, how they come together, how they converge, what happens when those all come together. And Mm -hmm. I think of the urban characteristics of a city being the elements of a city that set it apart, that are not like the parts of other cities. You know, what are some of your favorite cities in the world? Some of my favorite cities. Um, We're talking about Montreal. I think that's one of my favorite cities. Mm. New York, I have to say, is also one of my favorites. I like big cities as (laughs) well. Um, London. The big favorites, I guess. So, yeah, you say these names and you get mental images. Mm -hmm. Things come to mind, special qualities of the city, things you don't see in other cities, things you don't feel in other cities. And this quote comes to mind from Michael Tilson Thomas, who was the conductor, I think still is, of the San Francisco Symphony. He said, you can't have Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart as your favorite composers Mm -hmm. because they simply define what music is. In a way, I think that's true of New York, London, and... um, Paris, you can, in a way, they're always your favorites. And in a way, they can't be because Mm -hmm. they define the image of the city. So in Seoul, you see a lot of comparisons to other cities, other cities in Asia sometimes, but even more often, other cities in the West. You know, why don't we have the same things that New York has, that Mm -hmm. Paris has, that London has, the same attractions or the same type of history? Or why don't we try to build versions of that? So Mm -hmm. we did a curtain, I did a segment on Solo, Solo 7017, which is often described as the High Line, uh, that converted rail line, which is now a pedestrian park Mm -hmm. in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. the High Line of Seoul. So there's often been a comparison to the elements that other cities have, the structures they have, or the things they built. And I wonder, what are the qualities of Seoul, inherent to Seoul, t h e r e qualities you see in Seoul that set it apart from other cities? What, mm. cities? what makes it different? Does anything come to mind when you think of that idea? What do you see in Seoul you don't see anywhere else? Well, actually, just to go back a little bit, I mean, the reason why I chose Montreal, London, and New York, I mean, I lived in London and Montreal, but New York especially, and my favorite part about big cities is They have everything. They Mm, have the little mm. neighborhoods. They have the little nooks that you can only see in that city, and that makes it unique. It's not the big landmarks, actually, that makes them special for me. It's the little special, unique neighborhoods. And I think in that way, Seoul, many, many things come to mind. Uh, 
the, the Pojangmacha. <laughs> you can't take out the Han River, of course. You yes. know, having Chimek on the Han River as well. Um, the markets. I love the markets as well. Mm, so of course. there are many different aspects, I think. And I don't know if you're going to be covering them, but... That's what's special about Seoul, I think. I've picked out a few, and mm-hmm. there are some that I specifically haven't picked out because they're talked about so much. Mm-hmm. For example, I was asked about a year ago to write a piece to contribute to a series of articles written by foreigners on what they like about Seoul. And the editor, a friend of mine, said, just don't write about the mountains. Everybody <laughs> writes about the mountains. And in fact, I was talking to a German architect who just completed a big headquarters for a company here in Seoul over in Yongsan. Mm-hmm. I asked him, what about what did you? What are your impressions of Seoul, of building in Seoul? What sticks out to you? He says, the, t- the topography. Mm. Meaning, oh, sure, the mountains. the mountains. Okay, So the mountains do affect the urbanism, the urban experience of Seoul. But I have some others here that I've selected for us to mm-hmm. talk about today. And some of them come from a couple of books. There's a lot of books about Seoul today, all in, of course, Korean, because there's a big Korean consciousness, a consciousness among Seoulites about what is Seoul? Mm-hmm. Why is Seoul like it is? How did it get this way? What can we do to change Seoul? What is Seoul becoming? Can we make it a different kind of city than it is? One of them, I'll hold it up here, it's called Seoul-rin Toshiga Anida, Seoul is not, not a city. A city. <laughs> yes, by a professor named Lee Kyung-hun over at, I think, Gukminde. Mm-hmm. And uh, his thesis is that these are, there are certain elements of Seoul that make it not a city, that make it unlike the New Yorks, the Parises, the, the Londons of the world. But I think they also make it like a city in its own way. So we'll get to those. But the first thing that came to mind was actually something simpler. I had a, or simpler, or more, how to put it, more everyday. Mm-hmm. Uh, an American journalist called me recently who, uh, for an interview because she's writing a book about address systems across the world, the history of address systems. So Fascinating. Yes. It, I mean, it's more than you might expect. She was, <laughs> she was apologetic about it, saying, I know it's about addresses, but it'll be interesting. Because I'd written about this, about how addresses in Seoul or in Korea or in East Asia mm-hmm. are so different than addresses in the West. And there's one simple concept here, the dong, the dong address system. Ah. Now, how do you explain what a dong is? It's like a neighborhood, right? A neighborhood mm-hmm. unit mm-hmm. about the size of a neighborhood or what are there, 423 or so dong in Seoul? So Seoul? smaller than a district, I yeah, guess. Yeah, smaller. So yeah. you've got you've got the gu and there's 20-something of those, right? Mm-hmm. 25, then you've got the 423 or so dong. So it's not something you see in America, certainly. There's no dong, no mm-hmm. two-dimensional unit that identifies a neighborhood with clear boundaries. And there's a whole way of thinking that this implies. So, of course, there is a new address system in yes. Korea that's more like the Western kind. The road-based system. Exactly, mm-hmm. road-based. Mm-hmm. In the West, we think of, you know, meet me on the corner of 1st and Main. Right, what do you right, tell a taxi right. driver? Intersections. Mm-hmm. What streets to go on? What this, where, where do which streets converge? That's where I want to go. Here, you tell them landmarks. You tell them what dong you're going to. Mm-hmm. You don't give them the new address. Uh, I've, as I found by bitter experience when I first moved here, the new addresses, they can use them technically. But yes, often and more they, and more so now, more I think, more with so. all the navigation systems, yes. That's true. But even so, I've had cab drivers struggle to enter them. They just, mm. not because they don't know or can't figure it out, they just, no one's giving not them the really. addresses. Okay. Yeah, they're thinking in terms of dong. Mm. I met a lady a while ago uh, who long since, a Korean lady who long since uh, emigrated to America, she came back to visit. She asked where I live. I said, I live, I live in Shincheon. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, well, what, what dong? Because mm-hmm. that was important. I said, oh, no go san dong. I said, oh, no go san dong. She, you know, she, the, the, the dong itself brought up memories for her psychologically. Sure. Yeah. It still shapes the way people think about the city, the, the dong system. So it's been supplanted. It's been replaced. But I don't think it's going away. Mm-hmm. And it, it's essential for the visitor to understand people think of Seoul and other Korean cities in this aerial way not linear. It's in terms of ever-decreasing units of area. You find the right place inside 
these units of area, you don't look for the intersection, though you can now describe intersections mm-hmm. better than you were once able to. Does this all make sense? I do, it does, in a way. But I think, like you say, the Tong system is gradually being phased out. And right. I guess I'm a little sad to see it go as well. But I, I have a feeling it is going to go. Yeah, it's, it could be. It, it, things change quickly here. Mm. And, you know, in, in Japan, they're still using a very similar system. There's been no effort to change it administratively, I think. But mm-hmm. here, yeah, you, Korea changes fast. Very you can never say so. how people yeah. are going to be thinking yeah. two days from now, let okay. alone 10 years from now. Well, along with the Tong, of course, um, another sort of feature of Seoul, you can't get away from the mountains, is the massive, massive apartment complexes. I myself live in one with mm-hmm. 5,000 apartments. So we are a small, no, a medium village yes. in itself as well. And I see that you've brought that out as well. Right? Apartment, danzi, apartment yes. complexes, yes. It's very common to hear among Westerners who come here, they'll say the first apartment complex I lived in had more people than my hometown. <laughs> exactly. Especially if they're from, I know you've lived in Canada. Mm-hmm. I've heard many a Canadian say this. They came from a small city somewhere in Canada. They come to an apartment complex with 5,000, 10,000, right. 20,000 people in it. It's unbelievable. And foreigners who visit here often have a hard time coming to grips with these, uh, with these apatidanji, because they see what look like these walls of buildings that are all look like they're gray with no difference beige, but the number on the beige, side, beige, yes, beige, uh-huh. and gray. There's a book I also like, uh, I've quite enjoyed about the history of these. It's called Concrete Utopia, or Concrete mm. Utopia. It's uh, English written in Hangul. It's by uh, Bak Hechon. He's a professor somewhere else, but a whole history of how these things came to be. How did Seoul, but Korea as a whole, get these apatidanji? Mm-hmm. And they date back to the, uh, the 1960s, the late 60s, they started appearing really in force in the 70s as a way to contain or to handle just the influx of population coming into Seoul. Now half the population of this country lives in the Seoul metropolitan area. Right. You've got to put them somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you can see this architectural signature across the city. It is the feature that stands out to somebody who hasn't done much traveling mm-hmm. in Asia before when they come here. They'll see, like, what's with all these buildings? And I often wonder, why, why do they... Something bothers them about these buildings, and I don't know if it necessarily bothers people who grew up in Korea. But since I mean, you've you've had so much experience in 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 the in, in the West. What what do you think gets what what do you think gets under Westerners' skin about the, about these apatidanji? Uh, but the thing is, I mean, apartment complexes or mm-hmm. apartments, you will see them, I think, in most Asian cities like East Asia, Hong Kong, Japan, yeah. you're going to see them everywhere as well. Mm-hmm. So what disturbs, um, I think, I just the cramped uh. quarters, you would imagine that, you know, some of these apartments are quite luxurious. But I think for most Westerners, that lack of personal space, you imagine that they're going to be very close and cramped. Right, that's right. probably what bothers them. I'm, that's my guess anyway. That's, that's, that's a good point. And I I think Westerners also often think of if they have a longish memory, they think back to the public housing projects built in the U.S. in mm. the cities like the, the standard one to think of is Pruitt-Igo in, in St. Louis that got dynamited. Uh, there were various issues that went into its failure, but Americans especially, or English people as well, mm-hmm. often think of these tall buildings where... Uh, not to be too blunt, but where poor people were essentially mm. put to li- sent to live, which is not how it is at all in Korea. These right. are these are very expensive, for usually middle upper middle class and mm-hmm. you know above. It's the rich people living in tower blocks, mm-hmm. whereas it's not necessarily the case in a lot of America, uh, a lot of England, places like that. And one other difference to point out about the apatidanji is on the first floor or even the second floor. There are other things. There are stores, sometimes restaurants, services, uh, daycare centers. In the West, often an apartment building is just an apartment building. There's nothing else to it. Mm -hmm. So there is 
there are, there are other forms of life going on there. On some of these complexes, they're, they're like a city unto themselves in a way, aren't they? I mean, we just talked about Dong, and yeah. if, our, if Dongs are kind of gradually being phased out, um, I think the apartment complexes, because I think the complexes are quite unique to Korea as well. Mm-hmm. You will see apartments in any major city, but... The way that they're sort of grouped together, you know, one begins mm-hmm. with S, one begins with L, and the way they sort of set themselves apart and keep within their sort of tanji complex and they think of their own community, it's almost right. replacing the concept of tong in a way. Yeah, it's true. There is, there is a certain alignment there. It's sort of like what comes to mind are these... The, the cities of the future envisioned by architects like Le Corbusier, mm-hmm. uh, my French pronunciation isn't so good, in the, uh, in the mid-20th century where they're very sterile, mm. everything's connected just by roads for cars, nothing but houses, houses separate from commerce, from industry. This isn't that. This isn't that at all. It looks artificially similar, but it's, there's actual life going on there, isn't there? Definitely. They have become sort of centers of community activity as well. Mm. But I think maybe the lack of um, personality in a way when you look at these complexes and, you know, rows and rows, maybe that's another sort of factor that may be disturbing to foreigners or Westerners as well. They could be spruced up a little. I I agree. They They don't bother me that much. But uh, yes, there's the apatidanji and there's... The, the next point I have here mm-hmm. that makes Seoul distinctive in its way, mostly in the way they're regarded and the way they're constructed, uh, walking streets, or if you translate literally, street, what streets you want to walk on. I guess I would call them walking streets, mm-hmm. but they are streets converted to be more walkable. Before they were mostly for cars or only for cars. Now, different streets have been changed in different ways to make them more accommodating to pedestrians or, you know, to people who are walking. You've this seen this. This is actually a recent change. I would say mm. within the past 10 or even most 15 years, but probably within the past 10 years, Seoul was not a very walkable city. I don't know how long you've been here, but 10 years ago, I would not, not like to walk anywhere. Yes. Very so it's a much recent for change. Motors. Yes. And The interesting thing about these is we, again, think back to the reference points, the European cities or a city like New York, especially in Europe, though, in some Mm -hmm. of these older cities. There are walking streets because that's how you got around when it was built. It's for people because people walking, that that was the main type of traffic there was. So there was not a consideration about building a street that was good for walking because so much of these older cities were organically built to handle humans walking. Mm -hmm. But in a city like Seoul that's done so much of its development in the 20th century and even the 21st century, there's had to be some going back, revising. In the same way there has been in America, I moved here from Los Angeles where similar projects are going on. There's infrastructure that was built with the car in mind, now thinking, okay, well, how do we... How do we make it so this is also walkable, mm-hmm. also bikeable, that sort of thing? So I live near Yonsei-ro, the street leading to Yonsei University. And that, on the weekends, it changes to pedestrian only, no cars drive on it. Other sort of human-centered design elements have been mm-hmm. introduced, uh, to use the jargon. But I wonder, you know, when we compare these projects in America and in, in Seoul, how do they differ? I think of like a Garoskil mm-hmm. in Apkujong. You know, what, what has been your experience of these walking streets? Do you walk on them? Definitely. I mean, the part of the reason I like cities is because you don't have to go everywhere uh, by car. So mm-hmm. I love exploring a little tung or a neighborhood by foot. And Korea and Seoul still has those tiny little streets where you really can't go by car, mm-hmm. like in um, Iksandong yes, or Pukchon, yes. those lovely little neighborhoods. So I'm really glad that we're seeing a revival of them. But Going back to what you said, like these new streets that are being converted back to being more pedestrian friendly, I do like them, but 
in a way, I also find it's quite artificial. That's I don't true. Danger. think Danger. you need to do that to close it off every Saturday. Or I'd rather have like what they've been doing very well, getting rid of the ugly of overpasses, introducing more mm. um, pedestrian crossings. I think that's what makes it more walkable. It's true. Yeah. And you mentioned Iksondong, a subject of one of our urbanism episodes a few mm-hmm. months ago, maybe more than a year ago now. Time flies. But yeah, you make a good point because these are streets that like in these old European cities, were made for people to walk. And I think this rule is known by everybody who does, every Westerner anyway, who does a lot of traveling in Asia. If you're in a big city in Korea or Japan or wherever, don't just stick on the big streets. You have to go down the alleys Mm because everything's down the alleys. Everything's on the small streets. If it's a street a car can't go down, that's where the good stuff is. So it's not just new. Yeah, it's not the main strip that's so interesting now. They've been taken over by the sort of the big names, the big sort Mm -hmm. of chains. It's Mm -hmm. the side streets that have become much more interesting. Even there, the alleys off of the walking streets are better than the walking street or more interesting. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, you can't always um, walk around, so you do have to take public transport, especially for a huge city like Seoul. And the next point that you bring up, I did not know this is unique to Seoul? You could say that. It's another point brought up by uh, Lee Kyung-hoon in Seoul and Toshiga Anida. Mm-hmm. Seoul is not a city. Uh, the Maul bus, the village buses, you could translate them. He brings this up as an element distinctive to Seoul in both his talks and in his book, because there are buses like these in other cities, other countries, mm-hmm. but there's no, no bus exactly like them. So I had some friends in from Hong Kong recently. They were saying, oh, we have buses like those, but they have buses that just stop and start wherever. If you want them to stop, they stop. If you, um, uh, if you want to get on or off wherever, they'll accommodate you. As you know, Maul buses don't do that. So just to, I guess, clarify for some of mm, our listeners yes. who may not know Maul bus or village, these are the smaller sort of like maybe 10 or 12-seater little exactly, buses. Exactly, little that, green buses. That have maybe 10 or 15 stops and just go around in a very small and tight area, serving just those residents, I guess, exactly. neighborhood residents. They, they work in short hops, you might say. Mm-hmm. They have small loops. And someone visiting Seoul might ask, what, what are these actually for? These don't go very far. What, and, but there's, they fulfill a function that is often ignored in other cities. And it's talked about by uh, American urbanists very often these days. They call it the last mile problem. Not necessarily meaning exactly a mile, but it's the distance from where you leave transit to your door. Right. And that's the problem that is difficult to solve in America because of the kind of housing. We don't have these apatidanji, mm-hmm. usually. We have single-family houses very often, even in big cities like Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So how do you get from the house to the bus stop or to the train station or to wherever? That's the last mile problem. Mm-hmm. That's the problem these village buses solve. They get people, especially those who can't or don't want to walk far distances, right. uh, to their actual house from mm-hmm. where they're going. They connect They're an essential link between the major transit system and where people live. So, go ahead. And very very useful, again, we go back to the mountains because of the topography of Seoul. There are so many mountainous areas. Even in my neighborhood, I'm very grateful for the village bus because if not, I would be hiking every single day. It's very difficult to hike up and down every day. I have some friends who live in an apatidanji on Mm -hmm. uh, a big one on top of a hill over over near uh, Hyeon. No, no. Hyewa. Near Mm -hmm. Hyewa. And... uh, it's up a big hill, and yeah, I was thinking, if I, if I lived here and had to do this every day, this would not be fun. But there is a mile bus, easy to catch. It comes every less than 10 minutes, I think. So that solves the problem. Last mile, solved. And it's an uphill mile, so I'm Great. glad. All right. Moving on to our next one, then. Uh, you mentioned pang. I love yes. these pangs, yes. The they're rooms. fun, pang uh-huh. rooms. Yeah, people will, it's one of the first things people notice about Seoul if they're foreign, if they haven't spent much time in Asia. They see, oh, the, 
there's there's a norebang, a song room. You can go there and sing. There's a DVD bang. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a Blu-ray bang now. These are always getting more advanced, but a place you can go watch movies or a board game bang. Or even in a coffee shop or a pub, you'll have little rooms, private rooms, or more isolated booths. The idea seems to be to sell private space in a way as part of the city. You can rent private space, mm-hmm. which is everybody who's spent any time in Seoul has fun memories in some kind of mang. You know, whether it's singing, board games, watching movies. Drinking, what have you? Some combination of all three. But this is again unique to Seoul. I would imagine. I mean, like the norebang came from Japan, no? Exactly. So you have this. In a way, you have. You can see Korea taking something. And changing it, making it its own, making this whole bang culture. Now it's not just a place you go to sing, but it's a whole culture of spaces activity that you can do activities in. That in the West you might just do in a house. You mm-hmm. might go over to someone's house um, to play a board game, certainly, or to even to drink because it's so expensive in right. America. But the real difference is, yes, yeah, singing. If you want to go out and sing. In the city, in America, you're going to be doing it on stage in some bar. You're not going to get your own bang, your own room. Mm-hmm. So there is that difference in the conception of private space and how it's been made into a business in Seoul. And the bang is an inevitable part of your experience in Seoul. But Lee Kyung Hun, the author of uh, Seoul and Toshika Anida, Seoul is not a city. He thinks it's also harmful the bang because they occupy, in a sense, the space that. More outward-facing type of business could. He's a big fan of sidewalk cafes. He loves yeah. European cities. It okay. seems so. It's like he holds these up. Sidewalk cafes they spill out from private space into public. So they they make they make it more of a city when you have them because it's more of a connection between public and private. A bang, you think is he thinks is too private, but they also have a fun side. So you know, don't take them away. I I am a fan of pangs as well. I think it's to get away from the crowds as well. You have the privacy, but it's also the crowds. And one last one, of course, and this is. Covered quite a lot by the foreign media. <laughs> It's the pochang matcha, of course. Yes, pochang matcha. These tent restaurants that set up on the uh, on the sidewalk or mm-hmm. where parking spaces are. I go to the ones in Jongno pretty often. I always take friends who visit from some other country because they they always say, "You know, I never would have done this if you hadn't introduced me to it." And this is really a distinctive experience. It Sometimes, is. you know, they'll have varying opinions on. What it's like to be in Korea. Most of my friends who come like it, but when they go to a pochang matcha, mm-hmm. they really like it. They feel like they've really done something they couldn't have done somewhere else because it's this full eating and drinking experience that occupies a kind of space that is really just used for cars, and you can't do anything fun in the space that gets uh, the pochang matcha occupy in other yeah. cities. It's creative mm-hmm. use of space, and I, I hope they don't go away. I hope so too. I don't think they will too. Mm-hmm. And I guess that does it for Seoul and what makes Seoul so unique compared to other cities. And there's more, but you know those are. Important points. Thanks a lot, Colin. Thank you.